Today is Friday, November 26th here in 2021, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your favorite Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman here this week, episode 436, featuring Nesson's Alex Francisco is powered by betonline.ag and INSA. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50, for a 50% sign-up bonus. And go to INSA.com, mention that we sent you, or go to INSA locations and tell them that we sent you. You'll get a sweet T-shirt for just a penny. Everybody, welcome inside Celtics Beat here this week. Evan Valenti with you. No Adam Kaufman. He's taking some time off, I believe, with the family for the Thanksgiving holiday. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there. Adam should be back next week, so don't panic. We'll be get back to normal relatively soon. But of course, the Thanksgiving holiday, I decided, you know, if we can give Adam some time off, he's a busy guy, three kids, you know, a couple of dogs. Uh, you know, DraftKings, WBZ, and this. You know, you give him some time off, let him relax and, and get uh, rejuvenated with the family. But Evan Valenti here uh, with, for the first time in the history of this show, Nesson's Alex Francisco. Alex, good morning. How are we doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Happy Thanksgiving, and thank you for having me. Appreciate the time. And we got a lot to cover on this show. And I was explaining to Alex before the show started, I kind of want to have some fun with numbers uh, because I think you can tell a lot of stories about this team with numbers, depending what point of view you want to like push, right? 20 games into the season, 19 games in the season, 20th game uh, coming tonight. Uh, you, you can have this number, this number, this number to prove your point. There's numbers everywhere. So we're going to try and make sense of all of that. But before we try and make sense of the Southwark season so far, Alex, one of the things that you do kind of like either on the side or um, as a project that you kind of push is you, you're, you're into this, at least what I can tell, it's like crypto NFT world. So what is an NFT? What crypto should I invest in? Like, <laughs> give us all the, the plugs we need like right now. Get it off the top. You're not going to get this anywhere else in terms of a Celtic show for sure. Okay. I won't go too deep into it with you guys, but over the course of the pandemic, I spent some time in Southern Florida with my grandmother, just working from there since we couldn't be at games and introduced to some people. I made some friends down there that had totally given up their jobs and their careers to just kind of trade crypto or build decentralized apps and whatever. The scene's huge down there. They kind of got me into it, um, especially because it was at the same time NBA Top Shot was coming out. So I saw a lot of facets of the sports industry kind of experimenting in that. And I had an interest at a level myself too. So um, I kind of, it's just a niche I kind of want to target, um, just sports business in general and the direction it's going in, um, investing, et cetera. Um, NFTs are really interesting because a lot of people just think you look at Top Shot and it's just like a gif of a highlight, right? That you can find anywhere on YouTube or Google. And people at one time were spending a crazy amount of money on this stuff, right? And people are like, you can just Google this stuff. But, um, I don't know how NFTs are going to look in the future. I don't think people are going to like really be buying art on there, like a normal thing or just pictures of random JPEGs. But I see really interesting ways that it's going to be used as a utility like standpoint and just like an absolute proof of ownership. Um, the way blockchain technology kind of works, 
lame, I'm going to put it in layman's terms, um, written in the blockchain and the code of any NFT or any crypto token or coin you have, um, it's undeniably yours. So what's interesting to me is in the sports industry, people love collectibles, right? Memorabilia. And these days, like you aren't really going to a game and getting a ticket, right? Like you're probably like scanning your phone. So it's really interesting to me with that NFL has done. Um, as of yesterday's games, they rolled out an NFT ticket launch. So your ticket comes in the form of an NFT. It can't be stolen from you. It can't, it's really hard to hack. And it also is going to come with utility. So anyone who owns that NFT, um, it's going to hold value as a collectible for, for one. And it's just a way to also keep that sentimental memory that you were there. And I think, I don't know, the world is like a crazy place right now. And people are so online. The pandemic definitely escalated that. And I, I don't know what it will look like, but we really seem to be trending towards a way where most of your life is virtual. And I just think about how um, NFTs and crypto and decentralized technologies open up kind of a whole avenue for you to like watch an NBA game in the metaverse, like just put on yeah, that's, that's the right? Next like augmented of- reality yeah. and virtual reality, that stuff's coming. They've been doing it in China. It's really interesting to me. So um, I'm not over here like shilling like JPEGs for tens of thousands of dollars and trying to make sense of that. But yeah, the misconceptions are crazy, but um, I mean, it's where the world's trending. And when you kind of look into it from a utility and technology standpoint, it's really fascinating. And I'm just interested to see where it goes from here. I'm certainly not an expert. I'm kind of just going off the fly and know enough to kind of write about it a little bit, but um, it's just, it's interesting. I've always just followed kind of trends of where our industry is heading. And that kind of started in college, seeing a lot of stuff trending towards video and audio and picking up a film studies minor and learning those skills. So kind of now it's just noticing trends. Like Tom Brady has a, an endorsement deal and Giselle with FTX and um, they're getting paid in equity too. It's not just like, oh, we're going to give you money to advertise. Like they have, they are very bullish on it. And uh, honestly, Tom Brady was the point for me where I was like, okay, if he's this into this stuff, then there must be something here because this man doesn't lose. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, exactly. But um, which might be made. Tom Brady is not in the, in the market of losing money. That's for sure. And that's like the same thing with all these guys. My issue is it's just it's a complicated like sphere right it's, it's, it's so lot. complicated there's so and much stuff going on and like you especially when you just you see like right. people have like a monkey default picture or like a, a p- default picture of just like a pixelated person and you're like wait someone's paying like millions of dollars That's for ridiculous. this thing and it's like you don't understand but if you think about it like people will spend a lot of money to prove they're rich right oh like, absolutely i think there's a crazy interesting avenue for luxury goods luxury brands with nfts just in the virtual space look at fortnite and avatars right Right. i who was it i think it was kendrick perkins i think uh post game or pre-game during the pandemic i remember him kind of complaining that his friends had racked up quite a credit card bill for fortnite skins yeah so like nike is in the metaverse now they have patents on virtual goods they're going to be doing that kind of stuff and it's crazy to me. I can't ever imagine a world where I plug in and put on like goggles or something. And that's my reality. I very much like 
reality itself. But undeniably, that's kind of where a lot of things are trending. And um, I just want to know how much like Pierce would pay or I could pay to own the rocket like emoji that Pierce tweeted out years ago. Like when it was I forget even what it was in reference to, but the whole Internet like shut down. How do I own Pierce's Instagram live? I want gifts from the Instagram live that the infamous. That's where it's really at right there. That's exactly where it's at. And that's enough crypto talk for today. Sorry, guys. I promise that wasn't my fault. No, it's all good. I I did want to get just a little bit on that because it's such a huge thing at this point. And it's like taking over the world. Yeah. And so many NBA players are really, really into it. Yeah. And it's look, it's, it's coming. So the more that you guys research now and the more that we research now, the better off you're going to be later on just you, look if it's money to be made guys i'm just saying it's yeah. out there it's and out. honestly sports sports and entertainment are the best i guess introduction to those spaces yeah um i like especially you music cop shot did you not are, are you just like following the drops because i i got emails but i didn't really like actually sign up for that any of that stuff i didn't buy one so i was not personally but i was like just very interested in how it played out mm-hmm. um kind of watching but I, at times they were really popping and you could get so, I don't know, you could get a lot of money for them. But I think what happened is it became not as scar- uh, scarce anymore. And they just kind of kept like, I don't know, everyone's figuring this space out, right? I think Top Shot will be back. Um, the NFL is exploring avenues for that. MLB I've heard too. So um, yeah, well, again, it, it's going to affect all of our lives at some point. Um, you know, it, it's just a matter of time and getting used to it early is just going to be the best for everybody. Um, but I do want to actually get into uh, the Celtics because it's been an interesting 19 games to start the season. Um, you know, everybody's got a think piece out there, here, there, everywhere about whether what's wrong with the Celtics, what's right with the Celtics. So I decided to have some fun with some stats and see if we can figure out exactly what the hell is going on. Boston, as we talked today, uh, Friday, 26th of November, they have a game tonight against the Spurs who are struggling this year. So Ime, taking on, of course, uh, his his teacher for so many years, Greg Popovich, should be a fun game. Um, and it should be interesting because normally San Antonio teams give Boston trouble, uh, but Brad Stevens is gone, Emay's there. Obviously, the, the Spurs aren't as, as well off as they normally are, so we'll we'll see if uh, if Boston can kind of keep their, their, their good momentum going because they've had some good momentum over the past uh, two weeks or so. Uh, again, ele- uh, that 11-game stretch went eight and three in that stretch. There were some good numbers, and some of them – um, I think B-Rob did a great job pointing some of these out. Uh, Brian Rob, of course, uh, big fan of his on this show quite a bit. Um, he came up starting five, right? The ideal starting five, Smart, Jalen, Jason, Rob, and Al was a plus 21.1 per 100 possessions, which is an absolutely outrageous number. Um, it's a small sample size considering they haven't really had everybody for every game. Jalen's been out. He's had to put Schroeder in. Rob's had some injury problems. Um, so it's not been, a, you know, a, a, a good chunk of data, but it's there. Uh, defensively, they've turned things around. They they went from a bottom five team in defense to a top six team in that span. Um, and in, in that 11 game span, they had the second best defensive rating per 100 percentage of the NBA, only behind the, the red hot Phoenix Suns. Tatum had 40 straight 30 point games, their top 10 rebounding team, top 10 in assists, and doing all of this. The injuries to Rob, to Jalen, Schroeder, Richardson, et cetera, right? Really impressive. But if you look at the teams they've beaten, it's not like the greatest collection of talent out there in the league. Magic, the Raptors, 
the Bucks without Giannis and Middleton, the Lakers who are an absolute dumpster fire, and I'm enjoying that personally, the Thunder who are not trying to win, the Rockets who are not trying to win, not the best competition. So uh, but that Miami Heat game. That's the, so that's the only one. It's just the Miami game, and I'll give Cleveland too because Cleveland, I think, is a good team. Cleveland uh, is so underrated. Yeah, they're very very good. I wish I wish I put all my money on. Or not all my money, but the Cleveland Cleveland making the playoffs this year. I wish I I wish I bet that line. Well, if you had bet that before the season started, the odds were probably ridiculous. I think I don't quote me on this. Don't do a deep dive and try to like expose me. But I'm pretty sure I saw a line that was plus seven fifty to make. It was either the play in or the playoffs. It's been a week or so since I saw it, but I was like, damn. Yeah, but how would you know that? Like, how would you how would you get on there? I, 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 the way they're building the team, I guess. Yeah, like, you really like, would have had to been if you're high on those guys and those players. I don't know. I didn't gotta see be it. Super coming. ahead of certainly high on Evan Mobley for that. But so, my I guess my question, which we are, we you know, love Evan Mobley. Everybody loves Evan Mobley. The guy's awesome. Um, but so my question to get back to this is, you know, we've seen a nice turnaround for Boston. Um, the numbers are definitely encouraging in certain areas. But when you look at the, the competition, it's not the best. Are we getting too ahead of ourselves here with this team, or is this actually something we can actually hold on to? Um, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves, honestly. Um, the yeah. B-Rob's the B-Rob stat, shout-out Mass Live, was also kind of interesting to me about the ideal starting lineup because I don't think they've played particularly well. There's been a few games here and there, but in terms of – and this is going to probably bring up a rabbit hole with the Marcus Smart comments, but I, th- I think they really have looked better without Jalen for whatever reason. Um, the Scary. stats too. Yeah. Right. And the set, like, that's why our point earlier, how we were coming into this podcast talking about how you can really use numbers to prove whatever you want, if you know how to use words. Right. But it's so interesting that like Jalen is such a, an athletic defensive, great player. And during these stretches, their defense has really locked in um they're moving the ball so well I think that's the biggest thing and um that's not to say that I think Jalen kind of ruins their flow or they'd be better off without him but um I think he and I think Tatum's done a really good job playing within the Celtics offense instead of just kind of playing it himself and I think if Jalen can kind of start getting into a good flow too um, hopefully we start to see great things and we start to see what this team actually is capable of. But I think that needs to happen first. I think um, the dynamic of when they're both in the lineup is it's just different, right? When you watch the games, like after this game, you can look at the box score and say anything, but when you're watching them play, you're watching things kind of unfold and plays be set up and um, the passing was awesome without him like that like that Lakers game say what you want about the Lakers but really exciting game for the Celtics and they played really well yeah well they were down early in that game and it was like oh here we go like yeah it was just killing them and you know it, it, but then the Lakers who have been just an absolute train wreck this year uh and if you understand the fact that like Anthony Davis is their only rim protection, really, that plays significant minutes. So if you yeah. can a way to get him out of the paint, there's just a wide open lane for everybody to go. Exactly. Through. And Marcus Smart figured that out very early. Yeah. Dennis Schroeder and instantly hopped on and Josh Richardson too. And uh, then they started getting things done, right? And yeah. uh, it kind of took Smart to kind of set the lead for them. But um, 
I got some fun. I just like they too, but it's just it, it's just weird because like there's it just feels like a continuation of last year where like nobody's ever healthy. They never have. It feels like oh the the the, the hospital KG, Celtics. The, well, the, the KG Pierce, Ray Rondo, and Perk has still never lost the five games or seven game series, right? It was we haven't we haven't had a, a, a chance to really evaluate this team at full strength. Um, with a good enough sample size, right? Because the season started and it was an absolute train wreck defensively. They were a mess. And offensively, they were really stuck in their old ways. Over time, and this is with Jalen, without Jalen, their defense has gotten better whether they want to look at the numbers or just watch the game. Like, just watch the game. And you're like, all right, yeah, they're communicating a lot better. This switching is getting better. Um, I think I heard a stat the other day that was like Boston – is the high has the highest percentage of cross matches in the NBA of like 60%, which is like a huge outlier because the defense just does that. That's what this defense is like predicated to do. So if teams can't attack those particular cross matches, that actually ends up, you know, proving pretty well for Boston. Um, but there, I think in some cases though, because I feel like there's been a lot of times where I'm like, there's some teams in some matchups where it's like, why are we switching so much? the Celtics have some of the best on-ball defenders in the league. And like, I just kept watching, um, who was it? I think it was Al Horford kept getting switched on to Trey young in the Atlanta game. Yeah, and a bad. matchup like that. I'm like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Like, I love, I think being versatile on a defense is so important and being able to cover that many positions. Like, obviously that's where the league is really trending, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, wait, don't like, we don't need to completely change I don't know. Sometimes I get really frustrated with the switching. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. And I think they've gotten better and it's going to take Emay some time too, right? He's going to learn that certain people are good. At totally. He, he hasn't been there. Well, it's not like Brad's Brad had obviously some tenure built up and he can understand like what each person is capable of doing the roster. Emay's still trying to figure that out. So maybe as this, you know, defense evolves over time, we have, a, you know, a, a, a better picture of what Boston can do, can't do. And, and they, they do things that are their strengths. Because, again, if you're switching everything, you end up with, again, Al on Trey Young, which is going to be a, an absolute mismatch every time. And I love Al. And Al's playing out of his mind. And everybody um, – Oh, there's there will be no bad words out of no, my mouth Al, for Al's been, anyone Al, in the Horford family. He's found the fountain of youth. It's tremendous. Thank you, Oklahoma City, for that. Uh, appreciate that. He's been great. Um, you can't complain about him to the point where like, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and this is kind of a tangent, but I was like, okay, if they were to trade, you know, uh, for somebody, everybody's talking about how Al Horford's contract is like so tradable. And, you know, cause they have the, the, the guaranteed money last year, next year is like half of what is this year and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, well, if you trade Al Horford, you're going to get probably a lot worse in a, a couple different areas. So I don't think the whole trade Al Horford thing. Um, although, you know, we'll see no. as the season goes. I think, I think there's a reason Brad brought him back. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he maybe necessarily didn't know how his body was at 35, but I think Brad Stevens brought Al back because he needed that glue guy. He needed that veteran presence that Al brought. And honestly, I've written about this for Nesson.com at nauseum, but I am in the camp have been for a while that uh, all the bad luck that the Celtics have had with Kyrie and Gordon and injuries. I think that if Al Horford doesn't leave in free agency, um, the year Kemba came in, I think a lot of these problems we're not seeing. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely I think possible. that was an absolute pivotal point. 
And I can't blame him either. He got a lot of money. That's just like, there was just, there was, it, yeah, I, what can it, you do? It looked like it was a dumpster fire here, but yeah. it is what it is. And, um, I mean, whether you want to, he's been very open about the fact that like, he ne- doesn't necessarily regret what he did, but it would have been different if he knew Kemba was coming back. And right. I don't know, he's just been one of the most important pieces, I think, to come in here and kind of help them. And at a time where you have that veteran, like everyone, almost all the coaches are new. So it's like Al is that basketball mind, is that veteran presence that also like kind of can be that not necessarily coaching player coach, but like he knows these guys. He's played with them. He has the experience and he knows how to use it. It's just he's such an asset to this team. Yeah, he's been huge so far. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting that you land on the, you know, we're a little too ahead of ourselves here sort of side of the coin because I feel like there's been a lot of, you know, with the exception of the Nets game, um, a lot of positivity surrounding Boston for good reasons. I think we've all been looking for a reason to root for uh, this particular group of Celtics and the, the start wasn't great, but the turnaround has been so stark in terms of what they were doing the first couple of games and that Miami game really where they only allowed 78 points to a Miami team. That's just a, a ridiculously talented team on both sides of the floor uh, was a real eye opening piece, but then they play the Nets, right? The Nets come to town with Durant and Harden. Um, and of course all the, all the baggage that they have. And if I told you in the game, that Boston would limit Harden and Durant to only 41 points on 12-29 shooting, you would take that 10 times out of 10 because either guy, Durant or Harden, go off for 41 points just by themselves. But Boston does a good job on those two guys. It's just the other guys that killed them. Patty Melster for game seven, yeah. please. Uh, e saying that he was, they were going to lock Patty's ass up <laughs> in the Olympics. Well, Patty's one for one coach. I think we got to go back to the drawing board on that. Uh, Patty that's a guy Mel- I really wanted. That's a guy I really wanted the Celtics to kind of come and bring in, but it yeah. just, it just speaks to the depth of the Nets, really. Mm, it is. And, and that's the luxury of being a team like that. See, that's, we've talked about this all off season where Boston is just not one of those teams right now that have, you know, uh, older, good role players aren't flocking to Boston. They're flocking to, to, to Brooklyn to play with Katie and, and Harden because they want to win a ring. They're much closer to that particular goal than Boston is at this point. I didn't blame Patty Mills for leaving. But, like, you look at that game, right, you have 41 for Durant and Harden combined. You know, Patty Mills is a terrific night. You should be able to – if those two guys combine for 41 and somebody else is a terrific night, you still should be able to like maybe survive that. But Boston in that game could not hit anything in that game. Couldn't even so, couldn't, couldn't throw it in the ocean. 37% from the field, 23% from three. And it's just, it highlights a huge issue. Boston, this comes via Adam Himmelsbach. They are 27th in the league on wide open three pointers. They're 27th in the league in terms of a three point shooting percentage. So like at some point, this is going to turn around at some point, or they just have one of the worst shooting teams in the league, and we're going to have to deal with this the rest of the way. I, I'm not sure which way they are, but, like, this shooting thing is a huge problem. And, and you would think that eventually, like, wide-open shots are going to go in the basket. But yet, here we are 20 games in, and they still haven't. And it's been the most frustrating part, I think, of everything so far. Yeah, I think that next game was kind of a good microcosm for the season in a way, right? Because, I mean – Four game homestand playing really well. And then Kevin Durant comes to town. Like, I think fans would be like, yeah, you know what? What are you going to do? It's the Nets, right? It's a reason. It's an excuse almost to not go full out and play hard and close out the home, like homestand strong. And 
the Celtics took that excuse. They were like, you know what? We played good. Uh, Ime said it himself. He said it's the difference between a good homestand and a great one was losing that game. That was, those were his post game comments. And it's just like they took the excuse of, oh, okay, Rob Williams and Josh are out, like, whatever, we're not going to have that intensity from the jump. And when you don't have that, they just don't have offense because we keep waiting for the shots to fall and they're just not. They're, like, just not. The spacing's not there. There's, like, just, honestly, this offense needs to, like, thank God for Dennis Schroeder. Just kind (laughs) of... We're going to talk about him later. We're going to talk about Schroeder later because I'm I'm in a, like, a... Small, well, I don't know if it's that small anymore, considering how he's played lately. Um, but I've been a small uh, group of people with that concern Jenna Shooter. But I'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, we talk about, you know, this homestanding good versus great with the coach's comments after the game. Jalen, quote, obviously this isn't our best game. We didn't come out and play with that tenacity that we showed in recent games. It speaks to what you're saying. They didn't have that intensity to start. Because I think we let some makes and misses dictate how we're going to play, end quote. And, like, that's the biggest problem for me is, like, Going into this season, what did everybody say? This is going to have to be a defensive team first. I mean, they hired Ime for that reason. Brad Stevens has always been a defensive head coach. You have to understand, and, you know, Marcus Smart is the heart and soul of the team, quote, unquote, right? The big key parts of your culture are all defensive-minded. And the one thing this team has to figure out, and I'm not sure if it comes from Marcus, if it comes from Ime, or who it comes from, you're going to have bad offensive nights. It's very obvious you're going to have a lot more of these throughout the entire season. You're 27 to wide open three-pointers. But if you can bring the defensive intensity every game, and if you, can, if, you can't, if you find a way to not let the offensive struggles affect your defense, you're going to get back into games. Like that, One thing that I like yeah. about Ine and this team is they don't really waste a lot of time like waiting for something to happen. They do a good job, I think, of trying to force the issue defensively with turnovers. Like a lot of times, you know, Ime will throw a 2-2-1 trap you know, out there in the second or third quarter to try and get something going. Um, or they'll change up some sort of they'll 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 uh, they'll double team as soon as the ball crosses half court to try and force the issue a little bit, which I really, really like. And what happens is is that stuff speeds up their offense, gets some easy buckets in transition, and now you're feeling better about yourself. So like if they can just understand that we can't let our offense affect our defense and we have to play each defensive possession, you know, with the same intensity as we start with, this team's going to win a lot more games. The problem is they let these missed shots affect their mindset. And then you have the other night right against the Nets. You have Jalen and Jason combined nine of 31 from the field, one of 17 from three. Like I don't care who they play, whether it's the Nets or the Magic or anybody in between, like the, the Celtics aren't going to win games if Brown and Tatum are shooting one of 17 from three-point range. Those are two all-stars. Yeah. Those are right. two all-stars. And that's why the Nets game was so discouraging for me, honestly. Like in addition to like the fact that I'm covering this game in person and I know it's going to be a blowout while all my friends are at home getting ready for Thanksgiving, right? I'm like, damn, like Marcus Smart is out there trying to do this. For to his credit, he's trying to pick them up and just type of guy like you see it all the time. But in the next game, like, okay, he makes a mistake. He's going to make up for it on defense. And then it'll probably translate to offense. Defense just always translates to offense. And then, but it was like only him. It was so strange to watch. And it's just like, it's all, I don't know. It's just like, that's just an effort thing. Like all you have to do to play defense 
is give a crap. And just like they do get so discouraged when they don't shoot well, but they haven't shot well all year. Like I'm honestly struggling in my mind right now to be pick out a one game where I was like, yeah, they were on it. They could not miss that game. I mean, there's there's been quarters, there's been halves. The whole game is like a whole different story. Yeah, they can't put it all together. No, and that's and then for and I'll, we'll get into this in a second. I do want to take a quick break and tell you today's show. It's brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. It's Thanksgiving time, right? We all know what that means. Football, food, family, all that great stuff, and nothing goes better with football than turkey and gambling. BetOnline has you covered for the entire holiday season. More props and odds and lines. Than ever before, betonline.ag remains your number one spot for all the sports action this Thanksgiving. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. Now, look, did I go two for three yesterday? Yes. Uh, does that mean I'm going to do well this weekend? No, does not. As we've learned throughout this entire process, uh, if you actually listen to my gambling advice, you're going to probably want to fade me the rest of the way because it's been that weird of a year for everybody. And I'll give you some some ones to start, some numbers to start, uh, to consider at least this weekend. Pats are minus six and a half against the Titans. Now, look, I know it's kind of a big number, six and a half. Uh, Titans are missing a lot of guys. This Patriots team is playing really well right now. I could easily see New England running the ball with efficiency, you know, getting Mac, you know, some, some great game script, you know, to operate from either under the under center or in shotgun uh, to, you know, use their play action game to, to, you know, whittle down Tennessee. The six and a half is a lot. I like the money line minus 290 a little bit better. If you want a sure thing, that's what I would do. I think the Pats are going to win that game. No question. If you want to tease them down, right, get them down to a half a point if you want or get it to a pick them, that's fine. In terms of what team are going to do that with, not totally sure. This week, not a lot of teasable numbers, to be frankly honest with you. So that's why I do like that minus 90. Unless you took some games last night, uh, which were more teasable, like that Buffalo line was very teasable last night. Uh, Philadelphia minus three and a half. We'll consider them because the Giants are an absolute disaster. Um, and uh, if I had to go one more, I like the Vikings plus three against the Niners. The, the Vikings are playing really well right now. Again, that's betonline.ag. Again, use that promo code seal, and that's 50 to receive your bonus. And it's not just football. Bet Online has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, and even your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 and coming soon, the 2022 seasons. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. It's Bet Online. We're stuffed with deals. This Thanksgiving, Evan Valenti, Alex Francisco, of course, from Nesson coming at you here this morning, uh, talking C's and just fun with numbers because numbers can do a whole lot of things. It can show uh, that the Celtics are playing really well and they can show that they're not playing so well. Case in point, Boston went from uh, a top uh, bottom five defense to top five defense in 11 games. Um, However, they're still one of the worst open three point shooting teams in the league and their turnaround it's sort of been based, Alex, on Tatum finding some rhythm, or at least a little bit, right? 40, four straight 30-point games, heading into the Nets game. Didn't have a great game against the Nets, as we all know. Um, but the thing with Tatum is, still not shooting the ball that well, um, considering what we've learned, you know, what we've seen from him throughout his entire career so far. The only difference that I see, really, is just the, the ability to get to the free throw line. More like seven, eight, nine attempts per game, Uh over the last, we'll call it 11 games. Um, now, I don't really have, like, a a stat that shows, like, I, I don't believe that Tatum has another leap coming this season, right? I, I, I just – I believe in 
the sample size that we have over his career. I think he's going to shoot a lot better at some point. But is there any concern in your end the fact that his, for some reason, he just hasn't really found that solid footing that he normally has at this point in the season? I think it was just all the confusion of this offense had him playing so much ISO to start the season, which is always the gripe on Tatum, right? But um, just seeing he's just put on so much weight and is so skilled that when he just attacks the basket and he's just in his bag, how do you stop it? And he's going to get, and then he's going to get the calls too. He wasn't getting calls because he wasn't attacking the rim. He was just kind of resorting to ISO and, or maybe trying to throw up like a dumb shot to get everything back with one play. And it just, it doesn't work. It's there when this team doesn't have that momentum and rhythm and, like some of their, their two of their ball handlers, like Schroeder and Richardson, are just getting new to the offense. Like there's too many moving parts with injuries and COVID that it was kind of an excuse that he could just rely on just getting it himself. And as they're starting to kind of build that report with each other, he's going to the hoop. It's it kind of started with that Lakers, like we saw at that Lakers game, right? Like Marcus started attacking the basket, Schroeder started attacking the basket. Tatum started tagging the basket and Tatum had an amazing game that night. And it kind of started off his, or it might've been in the middle of his three consecutive 30 point games, but um, it's just, it's hard to stop him when he's attacking like that. He's big, he's long, he's so, so skilled. And um, that's why I love to see him playing in the offense. And I think, I think it'll only get better. I think his assist numbers will continue to go up and, if he keeps playing the way he has. Yeah. The assist numbers are going to be better if, if Boston just knocked down shots. And that's the one thing that really likes to clown on assist numbers. It's like, well, part of the assist is somebody has to make a shot. So it's not like Tatum's not sharing the ball. I, I think he's done a really great job of sharing the ball this year for the most part. I mean, there are times where you get frustrated that he gets a little ISO heavy, but you can make that argument for a lot of players. I right? think that honestly, since Marcus Mark called them out, Tatum really has like, I don't know if it was because of those comments, but that's kind of where you saw the uptick in their play, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's sort of that's been the the you know the the turning point, so to speak. And there's always a, a game, uh, the unofficial where, turning point, yeah, where it's like yeah. you know the the Kyrie um, quote against the Sixers pregame, uh, the SMD South SMD. <laughs> That turnaround, that was like what? What a legendary you know? meme! Um, there was like the 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 plane ride Celtics, right? They went out west and like they had some like huge body moment on the plane, and they started like. There's always this one game where everybody's like, "That was the game. That was it." Where uh, the whole season turned around. It just seems like everybody wants to have that, but uh, whether that does it or not, I don't know. Was he wrong or right? We've debated that a bunch in the past. But Tatum's ability to draw fouls is what unlocks him. We saw this last year, right? We saw the fact that once he started getting in line with regularity towards the end of last season, he was rattling off 40, 50. I think he had 60 one game against the Spurs, right? This is a guy whose entire game elevates a whole new level when he gets to the free throw line. And everybody's been calling for this of the entire season and starting to see it more. It results in more, you know, uh, a better uh, offensive game from Tatum. It's just, I think there's a whole another, a whole another leap coming with him. And it, it, it all, it is, again, I don't, I don't think we're being patient enough with this team because of all the new pieces in terms of their coaching staff and trying to teach a new system or a different system than what they're used to. Right. So Tatum, 
has in is you know he's taking on more responsibility as a, as an initiator as a creator, and that's going to take time because he's never had to do this before, right? With with AU in college, it's like yeah, give the ball to Jason Tatum, get out of the way. Now he's in this whole new system trying to figure out how he can be a better playmaker for others. And that's always been the biggest gripe with everybody. The assists are jumping up, which is great. I think there's another leap coming when it comes to like the three point shot. If he can find a way to, to harness that a little bit more and start, start taking better threes. Like sometimes the sidestep, I know it's his shot too. Like I understand he practices a ton. Um, maybe the worst thing for him was last year in the first game of the year, he hits the, the one over Giannis to bank it in to beat the Bucks the first game of last season. He relies on it a lot, um, but it's like an unblockable shot. So I understand why he takes it, but th- there's another leap coming here. And like, when you get into like Tim Bontemps wrote that piece, everybody talked about it, right? The, the piece where un, uh, unnamed sources throughout different executive p- positions or different coach positions around the NBA, like are just basically all taking shots at Jason Tatum. And like some of these, I had a huge problem with like one of the, one of the quotes, Jason Tatum is about Jason Tatum. An Eastern Conference assistant coach said, quote, I don't think he cares about winning now, and if he does, it's on his terms. He doesn't want to score 15 and win. He wants to score 39 and win, end quote. Um, Ryan Bernadone had a great point. Like, what guy, what superstar in the NBA doesn't want to score 39 points and win a game? Like, I'm pretty sure all of them do if it was up to them. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Right? Sometimes you don't have games like that. But, like, I would I, I think that it's a ridiculous thing to uh, say that, he doesn't care about winning. I think pretty obvious he cares about winning. And, like, he doesn't want to score 15 and win. He wants to score through. Boston's not going to win games if Jason Tatum scores 15 points. Like, they're just not going to win a lot of basketball games. So in order for them to win games, he has to score more. I just thought the whole quote was ridiculous. And, and like, I understand there are flaws to point out about Jason's game. I totally understand that. And a lot of those are, are, are valid, like a little too white heavy or whatever. But to say that he doesn't care about winning and he wants to do it on his, his terms – like they ha- that's kind of what you have a best player for. Like what? Like what are we talking? I'm thinking I can take a crazy pills here. That's crazy. Yeah, it's just like it. It directly impacts Jason Tatum financially, his brand, everything. If the Celtics play well, right? If he is a superstar on a really bad team, that straight up decreases his value. Because it's like, okay, look at the Celtics on paper. By all means, they should be playing better. Um, this is your superstar, Jason Tatum? No. Like Carl Anthony Towns, right? Like, Towns is a great player. He's a wonderful player. Yeah. But he in Minnesota. And they but have look how game. fired up we get. Yeah, but look how fired we up we get about these quotes, right? It's like, that's my gripe with, like, so much of sports media and especially with the NBA now is just, like, these quotes just do numbers and on Twitter they go and they go and they go. And it's like, who knows what context that was set in. And it's just, and like, it's unfair. It could just be like an absolute observation with no inside information from the Celtics. Right. Like it's just. No, it's another sources from across the league. Like if you sat me down, like, Hey man, can we have a conversation about stuff? And uh, I'll quote you, but nobody will know who you are. Like, of course I'm going to say stuff. I'm going to say a bunch of stuff. Like, if I don't have – my name is not being attached to it, then I'm going to say a whole bunch of stuff. And that's the problem. Like, you have all these – and you're right. Like, the clickbait stuff, I mean, that's going to that, – that, that story probably did extremely well. And like I said before, and I think a lot of people made the point, like, that story was probably written before Boston went on this run where, you know, they, their defense had been, played a lot better and their offense just, again, still kind of sputtering along. Here's another one. 
Like, uh, quote, they've, and this is about Jalen and, and Jason, quote, it looked like players that legitimately don't enjoy each other's success, and it's been like that for years, an Eastern Conference executive said. The fact it's still rearing its head is not surprising in that regard. I'm pretty sure these, like, this story actually legitimately bothers me because this is just made up, right? I actually, I, like, when Jeff Goodman went on EEI in the summer, um, he said something about how, like, they're not best of friends, but they're friendly on and off the court. Like that's all. Like these guys legitimately like playing with each other. Are, are they best friends? No, but they like playing with each other. And they and people just keep trying to make the so, story out of something. It just drives me crazy. Yeah, my thing with the way Jason Tatum is covered, and I think I've been guilty of this myself too, is. Like, we put these guys in boxes, right? Like, the narrative of them, whatever. Um, I, th- I really think that the early success we fra- saw from Jason and Jalen made us all go, oh, my God, these guys are the next Steph and Clay. They're the next great thing since sliced bread. And that's a lot to put on someone. And then you kind of just go with – I think Tatum gets a lot of unfair criticism – on top of that, with just kind of maybe like some of his body language gets talked about, like the way he talks in post game. I just, I think people read too much into that stuff. Like Jason Tatum doesn't seem like he's a super outgoing person with the media, where Jalen maybe says a lot more and takes activist stands and really will talk and be thought out. That might not be who Tatum is. And it doesn't mean he doesn't care. It just means like doing media isn't necessarily his thing. Maybe he expresses frustration differently. And it's just, then we let these narratives run and run that they're not friends and they don't like each other. And you know what? Like maybe the truth is that they're not best suited to play next to each other. Maybe they both still have a lot of growing to do before we get there, but to like just shove the narrative down your throat. Sometimes it's just, I think I get, I'm too wrapped up into it. And it's just my everyday life being on these availability calls and reading NBA Twitter, but it's just like exhausting. And you can only imagine how exhausted these guys are to have people speculating on their life 24 seven and like, say what you want. They're pro athletes. They should be able to block out that noise. But in the digital age, the noise has never been louder and the way media and journalism is kind of heading right now, which is, it's so click centered that like, like that headline probably did numbers on Twitter because of that quote. And it's like, no one's going to read into the story and the context of it. So we just, we're in a weird place with media where we just let that stuff fester in it. Like, how can you say it's not going to have an impact on people? How can you say that? I don't know, maybe they're best friends, but they hear something like that in the news and they're like, okay, is Jalen or is, Jason leaking something or is, does he really feel this way? You know, like, it's just, there's so many things and so many moving parts that it like gives you whiplash. Yeah. And it's just, it's just been a past couple of years been a similar storyline and I'm just getting like kind of tired of it. I do think that the numbers will improve for Jason as we go along. He's an incredible player. He's an incredible talent. The, the three point shot's going to fall. It's going to take some time. It's frustrating. Yeah. That he hasn't shot the ball particularly well so far this season, but like, I know the talent. I'm going to bet on Jason Tatum more often than I'm going to bet against him. So um, I'm, I'll, I think there's another little mini leap coming here. 
And when that happens, like Boston will improve because like, again, they're a, a team of um, a lot of role players, like some high end ones, some not high end ones. Um, but like, obviously as with most teams, like you're, you're only going to go as far as your star players carry you. Um, and as Jalen works his way back from injury and Jason gets out of the shooting funk, like there's a, there's another level coming here. That's as much as I want to say doom and gloom here for Boston and, and there's going to be more stats coming up here that are going to make things even more confusing. I think that there is, there is definitely uh, an opportunity to get better. Like, are they going to be a top three seed? No, that's ridiculous, but there's, there's definitely a better team in this, in this group. And as soon as a couple of things start happening, that, that, that will flip. And I think Boston's a well positioned for that, but like there's nobody's more not frustrating, but I, I guess frustrating is more. Nobody's more frustrating in this team than Mark smart. Like this just, and it's been that way since he basically became a Celtic. And this comes via Sean Grandy, who is one of my favorites. Obviously been on the show a lot. Um, quote from Sean, your fun facts, Celtic stat of the day. Marcus smart leads the Celtics in plus minus. When he's in, Boston has the seventh best offense in the NBA. That's a little shocking. When he's off, the Celtics score .947 points per possession, which would also rank seventh, the seventh worth, worst offense in NBA history, end quote. And this is a ridiculous difference between those two statements. Like, they're either one of the best offenses in the NBA or the one of the worst offenses of all time. And literally, Marcus Smart is the piece that makes this go, which is, I think, to me, basically Marcus Smart in a nutshell. His his shooting numbers are a disaster. He's 38% from the field. He's 28% from three. So he's just like everybody else, can't shoot the ball right now. But he leads his team in assists, and that stat right there proves that, you know, whether he's shooting well or not, he's an important cog of this basketball team. Um, my question for you is, even though the numbers in some respects say they're good, are the shooting numbers really, really concerning here? Because at some point, I've never been, I've never been concerned by Marcus smart shooting numbers are not at all surprising to me. Marcus smart, very little to frustrate me. I am his biggest fan. I think he's the quarterback of their offense. If you actually watch, I don't think anyone that doesn't like Marcus smart watches basketball. I don't think, and this is the kind of piggyback oh, off of a quote Brad Stevens had. This is a piggyback off a quote Brad Stevens had about him, but um, not exact. But I think if you watch the games and you know basketball, you see the impact he makes on the court. It might not be in the box score, but there's a reason he has so many Tommy Awards. I think like hockey assists need to be counted in basketball because he would have a tremendous amount. I think they're court movement and this has been definitely helped I think with the addition of Schroeder too um and I like the way Josh has been playing with smart too but I really think smart is so much smarter than people think and realize like for every chucked up three or like unfortunate foul at the end of a game where he just messes up um his impact is like undeniable if you watch the games, whether it's diving on the court, whether it's setting up a play, he's constantly commuting, communicating. If you watch him telling people where to be and he, he really to me is like an on court coach for them um, on offense and defense. And that's why I think his offensive, I, that's why I think he's so underrated offensively is because people just watch him miss a shot or, like do something in frustration or in, in the heat of the moment and just brand him with that. But if 
you watch how plays develop and how they form and just the way he talks out there on the court. It's just, I don't know. I don't understand how people don't, <laughs> I don't understand the frustration with him. I think that yeah, I, get he's it. Been... I definitely get it. Cause it's like, sometimes when he takes a heat check shot and you're like, why are you taking that shot? But he does all these other things that are way more. Yeah, but despite the heat checks, he does all these other things to make up for it. But the missed shot is the only thing you remember because you think that, okay, you score by getting baskets. You win games by scoring more than the other team. So that's what sticks out to you and not, I don't know, you just, with Marcus Smart, you need to look below, in between the box score. I don't know. I mean, I don't think I think the way he shot and started to come out this season, I don't think he had a great offensive start at all. And that's why I think his comments on Jalen and Jason made it all that like well kind of were a bad look for him at the time. And despite that, he was one hundred percent right about everything he said, and they turned it around from that point on and I mean, if you watch that Nets game, it's un- it's impossible to deny that Marcus Smart wasn't the only – really was the only one that kind of gave a damn. Yeah, and what's interesting here is if you look at um, – I think it's – got to figure out the stat. Marcus Smart is actually one of the top wing stoppers in the NBA. Like, he is number one when it comes to, uh, like, defending wing players in isolation so far this season. He's the like, one of the best defenders in the league. And of anyone was- on ball like he is an all defensive he's an all nba or all defensive nba talent like he is like one of the honestly in my opinion like you could put lou dort in the conversation but he's one of the best defenders in the league there's not many better defenders than him pound for pound and obviously as we've been talking about this whole episode that translates to offense maybe he's not the one making the shot but he's still contributing yeah, and and steals end up usually with easy baskets. And Marcus Smart, uh, I believe, Marcus Smart lobs are yeah. just like mm, like there's nothing better. I mean, uh, any any time there's a lob to time Lord, I'm not really I don't really care who's who's doing it, giving it to him. Uh, I just makes me smile uh, every single time. But if you look at steals in the NBA, I thought. Yeah, he's number one. He, him, and Alex Caruso. Who? Uh, Thank everybody, you. Thank everybody's you. finding out about <laughs> Alex Caruso being an excellent defensive player this year. Um, I, I was listening to something the other day. I think it was was Simmons and Harala Bobulgaris, where I was like, if you just look at Alex Caruso, you don't think he's a good basketball player, but you, you have don't to think ignore, he's an athlete. <laughs> you have to know what he looks like because he's actually like really helpful uh, on the basketball court. But you, you have to close your eyes and watch Caruso play. <laughs> Just listen to the audio. Just listen to the audio. That's yeah. all. That's all you got to do. You got to watch with blinders. But yeah, Smart has been, and that's the thing with Smart. It's like, yeah, okay, the shooting's not always going to be there. Some days he's great. Some days he's not. But the one thing with Smart that you have to admit, and again, Grandy's tweet highlights this. He has a humongous positive impact on this team. He's the Giant best passer on the team. He's the best passer on the team. Undeniable. Yeah. I, I think, and I think Rob is like close second, by the way. Rob um, is so underrated as a passer. Like, Rob's very good. Don't even get me started on Rob Williams because like. I wish he was in play in a while. It's just been a he's while. He's the most underrated big in the league, in my opinion. And once people find out more and more about him and especially as his passing, like he just has great vision and it's like, yeah. he's a rare talent. I love Rob. Just don't do it in the backcourt. Do it in the frontcourt. Whenever he does it, like he always like, 
has a dumb outlet pass that gets picked off and it's like, ah, Rob, don't do that. Just, just like, it's okay. He's learning someone to come He's to learning. you in the front of the front court. Then it'll be fun. Um, but yeah, smart again, everybody's favorite lightning rod, Marcus smart, um, whose shooting numbers are trash as they always usually are, but yet still finds ways to find positive ways to impact winning. And this year has been, you know, their leading assist guy. And that was a question coming in. Like what, how would, how would Marcus Smart look as the the primary initiator of an offense? Well, guess what? You know, th- is the offense pretty? Not all the time. Is that his fault? Not really. Um, when it is pretty, it, it's usually because he does something really not really uh really great. So as much as people want to clown on Marcus Smart for shooting poorly, he still has a ridiculously high impact on this team. A um, couple more things I want to get to um, at, at towards the end of this episode, but before we get there, I do want to call a slight audible here and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensary, INSA, I-N-S-A, to the premier uh, uh, cannabis dispensary in the state of Massachusetts, the founders, Penn Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it. While it's never forgetting, it's for everyone. INSA dispensaries are inviting and modern. So come on in just to learn a little bit more. The staff, and I can attest to this, very, very good uh, on everything involving anything inside of that store. They're, they're the authorities and the science. They answer every single question you could possibly have from differences between flowers and concentrates to offerings for insomnia and anxiety or just hanging out with friends. Insta has a world-class head chef too and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their crafts when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the Insta founders aren't you know VCs from Silicon Valley, but they're lifelong pals right here uh, from Springfield, Massachusetts. So there's another local team to root for, and that is Insa. That's in Salem, East Hampton, Boston, and two Springfield locations, including one just off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention that we told you to stop by, whether it's in person or online, and get a sweet T-shirt for just a penny, like this guy right here. I got this sweet T-shirt. I have like six of these, all different, obviously, types, uh, and they're super comfortable. Um, I wear them, you know, somewhat frequently around the house, but uh, you get a, a sweet t-shirt, just a penny. Uh, it can't beat that kind of deal. That's, uh, at insa.com or 877-500-INSA. Again, that's insa.com. You get a free, not free, but a t-shirt for a penny when you mentioned uh, that we sent you. Um, another person that drives everybody absolutely insane, and I'm going to be in the minority here on this one. At least I was for a little bit. I think it's a little more trendy now as we talk with Alex Francisco of Nesson. I love Dennis Schroeder. I don't care uh, who knows it. I don't care that his numbers might not be the most efficient. I love Dennis Schroeder. Uh, I think he's an absolute necessity for this team. I was clowned for a little bit on Twitter, but then Schroeder like rattled off a bunch of games in a row. I don't care about the turnovers. This guy does things that nobody else in this roster can do. It is very important that these things get done in this roster. He's the only guy that attacks the basket with any regularity. He's amazing. Alex, where do you fall on my man, Dennis Schroeder? Oh, I'm a fan. We like Dennis. Yeah. Um, I, I love him coming in hungry. Like it's a contract year. He has so many people to prove wrong, this and that, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm really high on Dennis. He's, I think he's been great. I think he's really funny to watch though, which is why I think some people might also have maybe issues with totally buying in on him, but like his antics and like his shot are a little funny and his mannerisms are just like interesting, right? It's not like normal basketball. I don't know. He's just different to watch, but um, I think he's a really, really smart player. And 
like you said, like him attacking the basket and that threat he possesses, he has really gotten them going a lot, kept them in more games than I can even count or remember. And I don't know, they've, and also just like the intangible aspect he provides, like bumping smart up a little bit because smart all this time had been waiting to be the team's starting point guard, right. And their primary ball handler and Dennis coming in kind of creates that in, in team competition that is just going to ideally propel everyone to be better. Right. And I think we're seeing that. And I think they're starting to play really well off each other. I love the way he plays with Al and yeah. The, I'm happy the, with Dennis right now. The Al and Dennis pick and roll combination is very deadly, but I, Again, people are like, oh, he's one of the worst finishers at the rim in the NBA. And, you know, he's – his. And again, look, his turnover, turnover numbers it. aren't great. Like, he, you know, averages, what, like three or four turnovers a game, which isn't great, especially for a guy who has a ball in his hands all the time. And I am willing to just ignore all of that because of the – just the geometry that he, that he does. Like, if they don't have anybody that, that can attack the basket, they don't have anybody that can, like – this whole, like, drive and kick offense that they love to run – doesn't exist or it doesn't work nearly as well. He is, you know, should be a guy that draws more fouls than he does. And I wonder if that will change over time because he gets into the paint with so much regularity, but like he and Jalen and like Jason sometimes are the only guys in the team that can really beat their opponent off the dribble. Right. I mean, smart can do it every once in a while, depending on the matchup. Um, but those three guys are, have, the explosiveness that you need to do it with somewhat regularity. And if they don't have a guy like that, they're just basically chucking up three pointers with defenders in their face for an entire game. And it drives me crazy. And again, I'm willing to, to take the, the bad turnover numbers and I will take the nights where he doesn't shoot so well. But if you look at that 11 game stretch, like Dennis Schroeder being great was one of the main reasons why they were able to win so many games. And like I, I said it, I think it was like He's a week totally before. elevated. Yeah, it, it completely changed who they are. And I know, like I said it, like maybe two or three yeah. weeks ago, I was like, Dennis, I love Dennis Schroeder. I don't care who knows it. He's one of my favorite players on the team. And I'm, I don't care if I get clowned for it. And then after that, here's like the stretch of games he had 20 points, 20 points, 38, 28, 14, 15, 21, 29, 18, and 10. Now, if that guy's coming off your bench and giving you that production, all the time. Like I'm going to, I'm going to live with the bad turnover numbers. I'm going to live with some of the headaches that he brings you because there's nobody on the bench that can do this. There's nobody in their starting lineup really uh, outside of Jalen and Jason that can do some of the stuff that he does. Like understand that. Yes. The numbers might not be pretty all the time, but his, his like roster spot and his, his skill set is so necessary for this team. If they want to do anything, whether it's regular season or playoffs, like I just don't get the people that don't like Dennis Schroeder, I think they just have like a, a concept or a, a you know, a, a, a mindset of what he might've been like before he got here. And now that he's here, even though you're watching something, it's still not changing your mind. Cause you're like, you already have your confirmed biases and you're like, Oh, he's a, a hog and exactly. he's a frog. He turns the ball over way too much, whatever. I'm like, I don't even care about that stuff. The ball does, it's starting to move a little bit better with him on the floor. Is it like a huge difference? No. But the ball has moved a little bit better when he's on the floor. But even with that being said, again, the skill set is so necessary. And again, I love Payton Pritchard. Payton's not doing that. Nunesmith's not a ball handler. They need Truder desperately. Well, that's the thing is like when Kemba left, this backcourt was so dire for a little while. It was like, who's going to, it's just going to be smart and Payton Pritchard. Like that's really what we're rolling with. And Brad masterfully, like, 
they struck gold with Dennis Schroeder. The fact that he came here, the fact that he's playing here for on what he is um, in terms of financially. And I think like he really just came in here with that narrative that he turned down all that money from the Lakers and kind of fell out of favor there. And like no one wanted him and we get to pick up the scraps, like not buying into that. Like, and that's why whatever the numbers say, you have to watch the basketball games too. Like you can't just go off of data and you can kind of tell when, when people say a certain criticism about a certain player and it's just like, Oh, okay. You use, you use that stat you saw on Twitter. Okay. So I know you didn't watch the game because if it's undeniable, if you watch the game. Right. And as we, you know, wind down here, look at the schedule coming up for Boston. We've had some fun with numbers. Again, only 19 games into the season. 20th is tonight. They're playing San Antonio. I expect a win tonight. Uh, San Antonio has not had a great season so far. Although there's some young players in that team I do like. Um, it's just not, not the best roster that Popovich's ever had. But this stretch coming up here, San Antonio is tonight. Sunday they play at Toronto. And look, Toronto can be a pain in the ass, as we saw early on in the season, or Boston can roll them. It just depends on how, how it goes here. Uh, you can't count out a team with Fred Van Vliet on it. That's for sure. He's been amazing. Um, tough stretch, though. Philadelphia, Utah, uh, Portland has been so weird this year. I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. Both L.A. teams, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Golden State, the Knicks play tough. Philadelphia, Cleveland we know is good, uh, Milwaukee. This stretch coming up is going to be tough. And I know we only have 20 games going into this thing. We're trying to make sense of it. My point here, uh, Alex, as we get ready for the next, I'll say, month of games, and it'll be, let's say, you know, 30-ish games into the season, we'll have an absolute definitive opinion about this team after I would say probably – well, I'm, I'll be a little bit more optimistic. Probably after that game against Milwaukee – where they play Milwaukee, Cleveland, Philly, New York, Golden State, and Milwaukee again, um, we'll have a good idea of what this team really is. If they don't turn it around a little bit on the offensive end by then, I'm not quite sure what we're looking at here because the shooting numbers continue to be an absolute mess. But going forward, yeah, I, this is a tough stretch. And they've had some easy ones over the first couple of weeks. This is not one of those times where it's going to be easy for them. They're, if they don't play well offensively and their defense suffers because of it, they're going to get buried in games and that's just the way it's going to go. Well, it's going to be their first true test, right? Because difficult stretch. And also you can no longer have the excuse to bank on that. It's still early in the season. We're still getting used to things, right? Like it's just going to, maybe it won't be what it is at that point. Like maybe they make a push after the all-star break or the trade deadline, whatever it may be, but this is going to be the stretch where we really see what we're working here. Granted that they can all be healthy and play consistently. Um, we'll see how much we can get out of that. Jalen's kind of recent developments are not like super concerning to me, but a little like, um, okay, what's going on with this hamstring for well, yeah, real? So this is... ask that at the end here. Do you think Jalen's injury prone? Somebody threw this out the other day that Jalen might be like an injury prone guy. And I was like, I don't know about that. Cause you look at his first couple of years in the league, he was steady, like 70 games a year. The last three, not, not, not quite as much. And he does get hurt, but he does play through it. And the thing that I'll, I'll admit with Jalen is his playing style kind of gravitates more towards getting hurt just because like, he's not re- physical. What's a Westbrook or like every he's time. John Morant, yeah. He's aggressive. It's not like John Morant, like where every time John Morant jumps, I'm like, <laughs> just please land. Please land. 
Um, well, so much of Jalen's game is his raw athleticism and his physicality. So, of course, his, like, injury prone is an interesting word, but, like, his margins of there are going to go be a little lower when that's kind of the type of play he subscribes to. That's his game. I um, call him injury prone. I just would say the style of play uh, lends itself more to injuries. And, and yeah, it, it's of just, course. But so does Aaron Neesmiths, and he's managed yes, to stay healthy. Yes. <laughs> the the meme of uh, the Simpsons meme of of uh, I forget I forget the character that sits flying from the window is such a perfect like just microcosm for Aaron Neesmith's place. Such a spaz. Just like just just diving out of nowhere. Throwing his butt. But you know what's funny though is like that's the way to energize a team. Like that's that gets it done. Like if I'm watching Aaron Neesmith out there just fly around and throw his pie Like it would get me jacked up on the bench. I'd come out there and want to match the intensity. I love it. My favorite time was I think it was post-game. Jalen was asked about it and was like, I just hope he doesn't hurt someone out there. And it's it's so true. But um so at least Jalen goes into his very physical play with that idea that he doesn't want him hurt himself or anyone else and isn't just kind of erratically diving over people. But um, to go back to your question about Jalen being injury prone, I think this year again will be the teller because we didn't see it really early in his career. And as his usage has increased tremendously over the last two seasons for a number of reasons, we've seen him miss quite a few games and COVID was a a factor too, right? Like we have to look at some of the games he missed last year because of that, as with this year and ramping back up. Um, I'm willing to give him a little bit more of a leeway this year, just because like starting off the season with COVID is not, not great. Not um, great. No, not great at all. And like, I'm not going to be like, Oh, he's playing bad because he's recovering from COVID. Like, I think it could be a number of things, not necessarily that, but like, it's it's just making me give him a little more of a leash here, but um, it hasn't been bad for the Celtics this year when he's been off the court. So it's like, yeah, and part part. Of, what is this going to mean going forward when they're seeing they can play pretty well without him? Yeah, and I, so we can obviously put you in the trade Jalen category. You're obviously and and honestly, I don't. I'm you no. Know, I have like one foot in the sand and one in the water because. From like a, a player, like as a player, he's everything you really want to represent Boston, right? Like he is great in the community. He he's about what he says he's about. He's really doing great stuff in the community, and I think he's a great player with a really high ceiling. I just think, um, I think a little bit IQ wise, he just needs to take the next jump there, but. I don't know. Like I was kind of proven wrong this season with how they've played without him that like, maybe they do have more options than they think in trading him. And maybe it wouldn't be the end of the world if they moved him and brought someone else in. Um, I don't want to see it happen, but. I have a, I have a, I have a deep like affinity for Jalen Brown because he answered one of my questions that I asked when I went to the draft. Um, and he was very nice about it and gave me a little more than I think he was supposed to give me. I asked him about these one-on-one workouts with Jimmy Butler because Simmons had mentioned it with Butler in a podcast like a couple of weeks prior. And he was a little more, he talked about it a little bit more than I think he was supposed to. 
And then um, somebody else the next day, I think, uh, I think Mark asked him the next day, like, hey, what about these one-on-one, you know, games with Jimmy Butler? What was that like? And he was like, they happened. And I was like, I, it, it, it clearly was like he was – because he was like – when I asked him, he was like, uh, he goes, well, we played best of three and somebody won. And then, like, still the other person didn't like that. So then we had to play more until the other person won a little bit more. And I was like, oh, so you beat him the three. but he, And he didn't like that. But then he kicked your ass the rest of the way until he puts you in a, you know, puts you in his place, so, so to speak. But I, I love Jalen. I Yeah, and see, those are the intangible things that, like, he's a guy you want on your team. He is an independent thinker. He's wise beyond his years. He's very calculated in his words and his communication. And you need that to an extent. So it's like things he, he makes up for like some of his things on the court or maybe his like basketball IQ or his skill, whatever it may be, whatever your gripe is with him, those things kind of help you look past it because that's valuable to the team too. And it kind of is just kind of going off what we were saying about the unfair criticism Tatum gets. And I think people want Tatum to be more of a vocal leader like Brown and he's just not at his core. And that's why you hold it against Tatum, maybe give Brown more credit than he deserves sometimes. And I don't know, there's only one way to see, right. And that's with one of them out the door to see what it looks like. It's like, uh, until then, we can just talk about it. Right, yeah. We, it's all speculation until it actually happens. Um, that'll do it for me. Um, plug some stuff, though. You're on Nesson.com, obviously. You have this little newsletter you're putting together. Yeah, can you can read. It? Yeah, read my writing on Nesson.com, of course. But you can follow me on Twitter at ByAlFrancisco. That's pretty much where you'll get, like, the feed of everything I'm up to right now, but um, some exciting stuff in the works on my end. Yeah, I've been writing that newsletter as a means of touching back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, kind of helping sports be that bridge between like sports, business, um, finance, whatever it may be. It's just a fun outlet. I'm really fascinated with sports business and the business of sports media in itself. Um, nutrition and I don't know it's just like a weird outlet where I can talk about everything about sports that's not actually the game right yeah and all the drama all like if there's any big drama and controversies I'll explain it there because Nesson doesn't want me writing about that stuff right yeah and 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 drama fuels a certain part of the NBA for sure there's drama all over the place we for some reason like I'm I'm thrilled we haven't talked about Kyrie in a long time um just not just not like I I love Kyrie stuff off the court. It's just not the on the court stuff drives me crazy. And we focus too much on that all the time, but yeah, it gives you not to do all that stuff. Um, and I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad we got you on. It was, it was a pleasure having you on. Uh, Appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Adam should be back next week. Make sure you like and subscribe this podcast. You subscribe to uh CLS media on YouTube and you can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on iTunes. We have our little sub channel on, uh, on, on YouTube as well. So if you want to follow us there, that's good stuff. I want to thank uh, BetOnline.ag and Insta for sponsoring the podcast today. I want to thank all of you, because you guys rule, for tuning in today. Uh, for Al Francisco or Alex or Allie or, or Alexandra or however you want to do it, I'm Evan Valenti. We'll see you next week. I hope you guys enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend. December's here. 2022 is around the corner. More basketball will be played. You can catch all of it here on CLNS Media. Thanks, guys.